Hi, this is John Wilson, president of the AANS. Just want to talk to you a little bit about our upcoming annual meeting. So Dr. Wilson, approaching, as you said, this first in-person meeting for our specialty in some time, a number of potential attendees may have concerns about their own safety or their institutional restrictions preventing them from traveling out of state to this meeting and coming back to work. What kind of precautions are in place for this meeting in regards to the COVID pandemic? Well, I'm really, really glad you've asked this question because it has been a, a key focus of our annual meeting committee. We have engaged um, a professional organization through the Orlando Convention Center that will help us with the, the daily monitoring. And so each day the attendees will have to answer uh, several questions uh, about their general health uh, on an app. Um, when they then come to the meeting, they will present the, uh, their, their cell phone with the results of this questionnaire and then will be screened for temperature. Uh, and once they've passed both of those steps, they'll get a wristband that will enable them to enter uh, the, the scientific sessions as well as the exhibit hall at that point. So again, safety is going to be one of our uh, key focuses. We will have, uh, we are trying to arrange for on-site COVID testing for those folks who may need that to return to uh, a foreign country or for those folks who may have symptoms or a fever that present at the meeting. Uh, so with safety it will be one of our primary concerns for all of our attendees. Welcome to the Nurse Surgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Nursery Podcast. We are continuing our mini series on the AANS and CNS sections, and uh, we're delighted to be, today to be joined by the chair of the WINS section. WINS is the Women in Neurosurgery section. I believe they are just celebrating uh, this past year their 30 year anniversary. So we're delighted to be joined by Martina Stippler. Martina, welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Now, Martina, I know that you're at one of the Harvard affiliates at Beth Israel Deaconess in Boston, uh, Massachusetts. Why don't you tell us a little about your history, how you came into neurosurgery, and what your specialty is within our field? Yeah, I'd like to do that. So I am a, a neurosurgeon at Beth Israel, and as you introduced myself, I'm the chair of WINS. I kind of wear different hats. Um, I am director of neurotrauma. Uh, so my academic work, my organized neurosurgery work, it plays in neurotrauma and a lot of administrative responsibilities I have are in that realm. Um, I added medical education as site director of our program, our residence program, to my 
portfolio. Uh, but my day-to-day -day practice is complex spine, traumatic spine, minimal invasive spine. And I also do endoscopic pituitaries, uh, so endoscopic anterior work, uh, which is, might be a little bit of an interesting combination for some people. Uh, but um, I grew up uh, neurosurgically at the University of Pittsburgh, uh, and uh, that where the endoscopic work uh, was one of the pioneering sites. Uh, so uh, that kind of stuck with me. So um, this is kind of uh, my day-to-day uh, -day practice and things I do in neurosurgery. And how did I get to neurosurgery? Um, you know, I always knew I wanted to be a surgeon. That's uh, uh, the brain uh, was got me to medical school. So I needed and wanted to do something with the brain. And I was in my neurology rotation and this guy always showed up and he did something. And I'm like, who is he? I want to be him. Um, and that kind of, well, he's the neurosurgeon. So I think with neurosurgery, I could kind of combine my love for the brain and the spinal cord and the central nervous system with kind of the hands-on part of doing something. So neurosurgical was a natural fit and that's why I ended up. Wow, as you say, Dr. Stipper, that is a, a number of hats that you wear and quite a quite a diverse mix in your practice. Uh, we'll, we'll certainly have to have you back for a future episode to talk about juggling all those things. Um, but as, as stated in the opening, the focus of today's episode is on WINS, the uh, section of the NSCNS committees that you chair. And so I wonder now that we know you a little bit better, maybe you could tell us about this committee, um, its history of background, and the kinds of things that it does for the neurosurgical community. Yeah, I would love to. So it has been a real honor and privilege to lead uh, the WINS section. We, as I said, uh, started 30 years ago, and it was our ground uh, founding mothers. And they said, they were sitting around one day um, and said, you know, we really should kind of us four or five women neurosurgeons, we should get together and, and see how we can mentor other women in that field. And uh, that's how WINS uh, was born. It became a section a couple of years ago, which really elevated our status at the WNS and at the CNS. Um, and uh, we are 30 years strong. Uh, we, um, Deb Benzel, one of our, our first chair, told us there was actually a map on the exhibit, exhibit floor with a pin uh, for every female neurosurgeon, like where one female neurosurgeon worked. And we have come a long way. Uh, right now, there are about 260 board-certified practicing women surgeons uh, in the United States, about 12% of all board-certified um, women neurosurgeons. So we have come a long way uh, with that. Uh, but I think we still, if you look at the graduation rate, how many medical students now graduate from medical school male versus female it's almost 50 to 51 percent we have a long way to go um and that is what wins wants to focus on we said you know what is our niche right the neurotrauma section does neurotrauma the spine section does spine so how does fit wins fit in that and it's mentorship uh it's medical education uh that's a leadership that we kind of see our, our our role and not only for women we want to do this for men and for women just to focus on these aspects of neurosurgery so martina that's that's an, a very important mission and very timely um you know it's always struck me that even in a field that's 
very male dominated like orthopedics, I want to say that neurosurgery has an even lower percentage than orthopedics. Is that correct? No, orthopedic beats us. Uh, orthopedic beats us by a couple percentage. Yeah. Right. I mean, there, there, there's a higher percentage of women in orthopedics than even in neurosurgery, correct? No, there are actually more women in neurosurgery. I mean, percentage-wise, there are more women in neurosurgery. Orthopedics is one is the lowest one. Oh, is that right? So what is the yeah. percentage in those two fields? Um, so uh, I would say, as I said, with neurosurgery, we are 12%. And when I looked at the last um, data from the American uh, medical colleges, uh, they they were about 8%. So, okay, I see. Yeah. So, but what is very fascinating is, and and that just gets me so excited, uh, is if you look at our residents, right? If you look at now the makeup of residents, we are up to 18%. Martina, tell me then what you think are the causes of this. I mean, I think anyone can come up with their own theories, but, you know, I, I don't really have insight into it. What are the reasons why the percentages are so low? Is it historical? Are there structural reasons? Are there issues with how we, we train and attract and recruit? Uh, tell us about that. Well, I, I think there are multiple reasons, right? I, I'm a big believer in you cannot become what you can see, right? So I think you need to have that role model. You need to see that this is an option for you. Um, there are barriers, uh, you know, people hire people that look like them, right? So if you have a very male-dominated field, uh, there are maybe some barriers into that and breaking into this. And do you want to be the first one? And we have many role models. You know, there were one of these first women who, who did that. Um, and, and I think that it, that is it, it is a big, big part of that. It The way I wrote an interesting article about how women will disrupt neurosurgery. And the way neurosurgery has been in medicine and surgical specialty, I don't want to like single ourselves out. It's, you know, we are on, whenever we are on, there's, you know, jump how high, you know, always available. Also a little bit of macho provado culture of how long have you not slept? I have not slept for a week and I have not slept for 10 weeks. You know, there is this, this culture and, and and that has been hard and I think it do a, that comes down to I think the supported worker. So let me back up a little bit and explain that to you. And I think a lot of our um, more recently women are most women, most professional women are not fully supported worker. What that means is that they actually have a spouse that also has a full time job. So it's very uh, it's different how they have to approach their work. I would challenge uh, you uh, to contradict with that, but I think most uh, neurosurgeon in leadership positions are fully supported workers. And what I mean with that, uh, they have a spouse that allows them to set no boundaries, to jump up, do everything, work 24 hours a day, don't sleep because they have their life taken care of. And I think, as you said before, I wear a lot of hats and a lot of women wear a lot of hats. Even if they're the main breadwinner in a family, they still do the majority of the housework. Uh, they have more responsibility with children. So this 24-7 no-boundary work is definitely harder for women. And I think uh, there are maybe some medical students out there that like, I'm not signing up for this. I'm not signing up for that culture. Um, there are other fields where I can be completely happy and have a productive life of a physician where I don't have to push back or worry that I don't carry my load. And I think 
we women who are neurosurgeons, we can demonstrate that uh, having no boundaries uh, is not healthy for anyone. And that's also good for our male colleagues. And I see that with the next generation of male colleagues, they also want to tuck their kid into bed one night. They also want to go home and not have meetings at 7, 8, or 9 p.m. at night. Uh, they also want to have um, you know, some time for themselves. So I think we will see as more and more male or female neurosurgeon and not fully supported workers, it will become more the norm to set boundaries. And, uh, and I think that will make it a more an attractive field uh, for, uh, for, female, uh, for female medical students. Uh, I, I know this was a very long answer. What I want to add is I don't want to make them... I don't want to make the, communica the communication or conversation about while they're not more female medical students, a conversation about children or not having children. I think it's a much bigger picture. If you look, 90% of male surgeons have children. Only 50% of female surgeons have children. So there's a huge part of female surgeons that do not have children. So I don't want to make that a conversation just about being a mother or not being a mother. Of course. And, and Dr. Stifler, I would say from my perspective as a very junior member of our, of our field, um, recently I have medical school myself, I would agree with you that many of my female classmates in medical school expressed all of those concerns about entering not just neurosurgery, but as you said, many of the more competitive fields, surgical disciplines, all of these fields that, as you rightly pointed out, classically and almost stereotypically have that reputation for demands on time and demands on all other aspects of our lives. So I wonder if, as you have been, if you could speak to those young rising members of the medical profession, but specifically those with an interest but concerns about going into neurosurgery, maybe you could point them to some ways they could get involved in WINS or any other organizations within neurosurgery to see some of that positive mentorship and those positive role models that we've been discussing. Yeah, I, I think you just said that thing. You need to have the role models and uh, you need to see the mentors. So, but first, what I want to tell all these uh, students that are interested um, is do it. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't have a family, that you can't have kids, that you're going to be miserable. Don't let anybody tell you that surgery is not a field for you. Should it be surgery or neurosurgery? Because there was actually a study done uh, here at Harvard Medical School, which showed that this is the message we're giving the new generation. This is the message is giving to women. And that's the first thing. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't do it because you will find a way to make it work. Um, how do you get involved with WINS? I think we have an open door policy for anybody that will be involved. We have multiple subcommittees. Um, we have a wonderful uh, resident and mentorship awards uh, that are uh, available for each level. Uh, so we, we just started the Shelley Timmons Leadership Award, where Dr. Timmons, one of the past WNS presidents, will mentor you for a year in organized neurosurgery. Uh, so that is special for residents. Um, we have uh, a great leadership award that the CNS just started for mid-career women, early to mid-career women, to, uh, to, um, to go to a leadership course of their choice. So I think that's how we are contributing. Uh, but, uh, and that is a good way for them to get involved and come to our EC meetings and reach out to any of the officers. 
So, Martina, you know, clearly the Winds was formed for a reason, and, I, and we've interviewed several of the founders of Winds on this podcast in the past. You know, tell us about what the challenges might be for women that might be different for men. I think it might be obvious, but remember, some of our listeners, they, they are just in medical school now or, or they're thinking about going into medicine. Tell us a little bit more about the types of unique challenges. You already mentioned this issue of being like being full-time supported for work, right? But what about earlier on in training before you even become a neurosurgeon? Yeah, so, you know, there are two thoughts, um, you know, two thoughts of this. Are we women really different? Do we have innate different abilities? Yana, yeah, are we the team workers and the man is the soloist? And I want to push back on that. I don't think there are, we have innate different abilities or capabilities. I think the society around us is different. And that makes us look different. So there was a really great article written in the Harvard uh, um, Harvard Business Review. And it said, we, we tell, tell women, you're not speaking up enough. But she's the only woman in that room. And if she would speak, you know, nobody would pick up her idea. Maybe nobody would support her. So she really waits very long or until she has a really good idea or it's well-formed. Versus Peter and Paul, they're just going to speak up because if Peter says a half-baked idea, Paul going to say, you know what, this is a great idea and we can do this. So it's the circumstances, it's the society around us that makes us maybe look a certain way. This being said, I think we will, one of the challenges, and I did not appreciate it as much as in medical school, I did not appreciate it as much in residency, but the higher you go up in your career, the more eye-opening it is. And I think our society has set certain expectations for women they don't have for men. And there are certain stereotypes you as a woman should fit in. And if you don't, you get punished. And it's uh, sometimes very subtle that you're not aware of. Uh, but I think the first thing uh, that I would give advice to you, and you're always being called, you're too, you're either too loud or you're too quiet. You're either too bossy or you're too timid. We're never right. So whatever you do, you cannot make everybody happy. Be your authentic self. Do something you like. Do it with people you like. Do it in a place you like, and you will be successful. Be your authentic self because it's it's, it's very hard to fit into these stereotypes that society puts upon us. Well, Dr. Stippler, with, with all of these legitimate, as you described, feelings of never being right, um, let me attempt to give you a question where you can't be wrong. Since thus far we've talked about the history and the founding of WINS, and you've kind of described the layout of the field for women in neurosurgery today and the very important role that it's filling, I wonder if in the coming years, as these missions are fulfilled and as these changes that you foresee in the field are enacted, how do you think the role of WINS will change and evolve with the field in the coming years, five, ten years out? Uh, If you could, no pressure because no one can know today, predict the future for us. Yeah, and I think Vince is well-positioned. So what I hear you say is, well, once 50% of women, of neurosurgeons are women, you still need a woman in neurosurgery group, and is there going to be a man in neurosurgery group? So what is your role? Um, but and, and I think there will be always unique challenges uh, because I don't think in 20, 10 or 20 years, men will be able to have children. So there will always be unique challenges um, that we need to advocate for uh, as women in neurosurgery group. 
But I also think we maybe pivot even more into the mentorship section and everybody needs a mentor. It's not just female medical students and female residents and female faculty. So pivot our roles uh, to mentorship for everyone, to leadership for everyone, and also uh, into medical education, uh, which we are all teachers, but there's actually an art to that as well. So, Martina, along those lines, um, you know, we're interviewing the chairs of the respective sections, right? And most of the sections are based upon the subspecialty of practice, meaning either the pathology treated or the type of surgical techniques being utilized, right? And we do see differences in, um, if you will, section membership by gender to some degree. Like, for example, um, you know, spine maybe not quite as popular except as a generalist. Um, for for women, right? Uh, whereas peds does have that bias. Do you think that this is something more reflective of the mentorship uh, and what's available out there, or do you think there's something more intrinsic about how the field is that attracts a certain kind of a uh, sort of proclivity, if you will? It's a, you know very very interesting question, and I think it goes back to you can can you become what you don't see. And, you know, are there, there are, of course, female spine surgeons, but there are less. And there is a momentum. So there, there, it has been shown that when you have a female faculty in a program, you're much more likely to attract another female faculty to work in that, in, in that department. And I think maybe that's what we see in pediatrics, right? There are more pediatric neurosurgeons that are female and there is less to have to break in the old gentleman's club that you have already a camaraderie and a sense of belonging and that the barrier may be less. Um, I personally, you know, I was see myself as a neurosurgeon first and as a female later. This has served me very well in my career, but we should not, um, you know, underestimate uh, these things where you feel that you belong, that you feel that you are heard, that you feel that you're listened to. And I think there is something when you have more people that look like you, that there is some synergy that you maybe don't see in, see in other fields. And, and, I, and I hope it will change, but but that's why we need, you know, you need to join them, right? That's why you need to go there to make it easier for other women to join and, and, and follow your path. So um, I feel strongly about that. Well, Dr. Stippler, uh, we want to thank you so much for joining us on this short series we're doing on the various committees and subsections of the NS and CNS, um, coming not only to be part of our series, but to celebrate, as we stated at the opening of the episode, the recent 30-year anniversary of WINS. Um, on a personal note, I'm a great fan of your work in the neurotrauma sphere. I've just been reading some of your papers recently, uh, unplanned in correlation with this episode <laughs> recording. But uh, we just appreciate your time and your experience so much coming on today. Uh, so thank you again for joining us here on the Neurosurgery Podcast. Uh, it was great uh, to be on there. And I always like to promote wins. Uh, thank you. Mm -hmm.